anyway, hey, go to your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 3, as we continue our uh, The Power of a Godly Vision series. This is The Gates, part 3, all right? It's like part 9 in the series, part 3 of The Gates. Um, yeah, turn there. We're going to get right into the Word this morning. Great worship. Glad to see everybody. Tell somebody next to you hello. Yeah, behind you, in front of you. Just say hello. Yeah, say hi to each other. We, we, we have a very special uh, guest with us this morning. He's not a guest. I'm sorry. He is a, actually, he is a new creaker, and I like to announce this there on their first Sunday, but, but this young guy got in, I, th- I think it was when I was, uh, I was somewhere. We weren't here. I wasn't here. I don't know if it was in Ecuador. I'm not for sure. Uh, but Connor Parr is with us this morning. Is he here with us still this morning? Bianca, yeah, if you guys would stand, it's Brett and Bianca, mom and dad, yeah, can we just, yay, yeah, I think I saw them on a video when I was watching the service, and I was like, oh, I missed it, I mean, but we're glad that Connor's here with us today, amen, praise the Lord. All right, Nehemiah chapter 3, I can't wait to talk about these gates today, these last three gates, man, these, these, these gates pump me up, all right, you ready to be pumped up today, all right, can you handle the truth? <laughs> All right. Oh, and by the way, I'm sorry if you've got if any of you got the emails uh, of me asking for iTunes gift cards. Okay, I apologize. Our, my pastor Greg at OsoCreek.org email got hacked again. Just know, gang, I will never ask for Apple gift cards. All right, I'm a hundred percent Android guy. All right. Okay. Yes, my people, my tribe. All right. Now. There was only a little boo right here. Thank you, Android. Now, if you get an email from me asking for Android gift cards, maybe that might be legit, but never Apple. All right, praise the Lord. Anyway, I just, sorry about that. I, we can't control that. But, uh, and also, if you noticed last week when we highlighted our students and, and children, uh, Gloria Harris was painting a wonderful picture of Jesus, pay, uh, and he was like praying outside of like city walls going along with our our. our uh, uh, build the Walls, the Power of a Godly Vision uh, series. She finished it this week, and it's, it's uh, located out in the lobby. Take a look at that, and if you see her, tell her what a great job she did. It's wonderful, wonderful. All right, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28. Each of the priests made repairs above the horse gate. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, actually four, five weeks ago, I talked about how Nehemiah went through the teamwork, as the message called Teamwork, where it talked about how Nehemiah gathered everybody together and put everybody and assigned people along the wall, and they built the walls together. And, and then we've been going through Nehemiah chapter 3 and just talking about the different gates that Nehemiah and, and the Israelites were rebuilding and repairing. So we're just reading the one scripture and then talking about it. So the, the eighth gate is the horse gate, the horse gate, all right? I mean, we've you know, last week we talked about the dung and the refuse gate, and I'm like, okay, that's a crazy name of a gate. Um, I'm sorry, guys. I don't know why this is doing this so much, but that's getting pretty distracting. All right. But the horse gate, what a weird name for a gate, right? So let's talk about why this was called the horse gate. Now, in this context of the Old Testament, and even, even later through history, kings would ride on donkeys, all right? Men of war would ride on horses. There was a big difference. 
And you could tell what was going on in like the king's life, depending on what animal he was riding. If it was just normal time, he's riding a donkey. But if it was a time of war, he'd be riding a horse. There was a big difference. That's why we see in the gospel of Luke chapter 19 and the rest of the gospels, when Jesus came and entered the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, what we refer to as Palm Sunday, what was he riding on? He was riding on a donkey, right? Jesus, the prince of peace, all right? He wasn't riding on a horse. He was being king there, so he's riding on a donkey. The horse is symbolic for war. Every time you see a a picture or a statue of a historical military genius or general or conqueror, what are they sitting on? A donkey? A turtle? A dolphin? (laughs) No, they're sitting on a horse, right? Think of all the historical pictures you've seen of of, of historical generals and military commanders. They're always sitting on a horse. Listen, Jesus came in Jerusalem on a donkey as king, but when he comes again and he sets his foot on this earth in his second coming, he isn't arriving on a donkey this time. He's going to come on a white horse horse, praise the Lord. Listen to this description written by the Apostle Luke in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. This is John writing and witnessing this. He goes, then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Jesus is coming again, and he's going to come on a white horse representing the conquering king this next time. That's exciting, man. That, that's cool. First time, the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace on a donkey. The second time he arrives, he's coming on a white horse because the horse is symbolic for war. And so this gate, as we've looked at the parallels to our lives, what they represent, this gate represents spiritual warfare in our lives. Spiritual warfare. And the truth is, guys, we are all in a spiritual battle. How many know that? How many recognize that? We are all in a spiritual battle. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. He writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, to stand firm. Look, the the world doesn't understand this kind of battle, but we as believers, as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, we understand This battle that goes on, this battle that wages between our flesh and our spirit, this battle that wages because as a believer, you have a target on your back and the enemy wants to discourage you. He wants to try to defeat you. He wants to try to get you down. He wants to try to trip you up. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That sounds like a a battle to me, right? 
So we're in this battle. Jesus then goes on to say, I've come. You can have life more abundantly in verse 10 there. And I love that. But Ephesians 6 goes on to tell us what kind of armor to put on. A breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, belt of truth, shield of faith, right? Boots, the gospel of peace. And guess what our offensive weapon is? The sword of the spirit, he says in Ephesians 6, which is the word of God. One of our biggest weapons is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, as Ephesians 6, Paul talks about. And what's so cool is I unpacked the water gate last week. What did that gate represent? If you were here, it represented the word of God. And so it's so, so cool that it just after we talk about the water gate symbolizing the word comes the horse gate symbolizing spiritual warfare. And that's our most powerful weapon right there is the word of God. Paul tells the young minister Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, to endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. If you said yes to Christ, you're a soldier. You're a soldier in this spiritual war, okay? And if you're not in a spiritual fight in your life, the enemy's not trying to trip you up, you know, and those kinds of things, you might want to ask, hmm, what's wrong, you know? Because if you're a believer, man, our life is filled with this spiritual war, okay? And this gate, like the others, it needs to be built in your lives. Jesus talks about those who overcome seven times in the book of Revelation, chapter two, verses three. He's constantly saying, to him who overcomes. The good news about us being in the spiritual war and in the spiritual fight is we can take heart this morning because we are overcomers through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Tell that to somebody next to you. Say, you're an overcomer through Christ. Look, we will not, oh my goodness, you guys, that was, that was pathetic. I was like, we will not be overcome, Mr. Christ. Come on, Greg, get on with it. You know, no. We are overcomers through Christ, man. That is awesome. Man, I don't know. Maybe we need to add like five times the caffeine in our coffee. I don't know what's going on. That's okay. No, we are overcomers. The good news is we are not going to lose this battle. Praise the Lord. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen, we do not have to live in defeat. We do not have to live in discouragement. We do not have to, to live like we're losing the battle and discouraged lives. No, yeah, even though the, the spiritual battle rages, even though there are times when the enemy, he is hitting hard and it seems like there's wave after wave after wave of attacks. And definitely there are times in this skirmishes where we have to have that posture that the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6, that last tagline that I did, you know, having done all that you can to stand firm. There's times in this spiritual war where, you know, all we can do is, you know, raise the shield of faith, right? And then you, 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 you dig those boots of the gospel of peace in the ground and you stand. Stand firm in the Lord. You do not give up any ground to the enemy, because God's going to see you through it. He's fighting right there. And because of Christ, the battle has already been won. The whole war has been won. Even though there's skirmishes, man, in the end, we win because Christ has already won. And we are more than conquerors through Jesus.
So no matter what, no matter what you're facing this morning, you that are here, you that are watching online, maybe insurmountable odds, things that are against you, you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Stand firm in him. Make sure you have the full armor of God in your life, Ephesians chapter six, and then wage war against the enemy through prayer, through the word of God and the things that the Lord says to do in his word because we are victorious in Christ. The war has already been won and we're more than conquerors through Jesus, praise the Lord. And when he comes again, and I'm gonna talk about that here in a minute, when Jesus comes again, he's riding a white horse, the white horse of a conquering king. And we read in the book of Revelation at the end, man, his enemies are going to be slain by the word of his mouth because he is the word, praise the Lord. That's the king we follow. That's the king we serve, amen? There's a lot of people in the world, man, with all the world religions, they are, they are following the teachings and they're following somebody who has, has lived this earth, they died, they are, their bodies are still in the grave. <laughs> Not our king. Not our king. Jesus is the only one who came and he died and he backed that up by raising from the dead on the third day and he appeared in front of over 500 witnesses who saw him alive and every one of them died a martyr's death proclaiming the resurrection of the Lord, proclaiming I've seen Jesus alive. Not a spirit, not a ghost, no, in bodily form. Praise the Lord. Can we praise Jesus? That's our king, praise the Lord. All right, two more gates to go. You still with me? Knock somebody in the elbow, knock them in the elbow, all right? Chapter, 20, or chapter 29, verse 29 of Nehemiah 3. After them, Zadok, son of Emer, made repairs opposite his house, and beside him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah. Why don't we name our kids these names anymore? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Guard of the east gate made repairs. Guard of the east gate. What's the ninth gate? The East Gate. You know why this was called the East Gate? Dude, I, I look towards this gate with great anticipation and excitement. And you should too. You can't, this is so good. This, this is so good. You can't make this, this stuff up. This is better than if any of whoever writes movies, this is better than any movie could ever be written, okay? Don't tell me the Bible is just made up, written by a bunch of men with no divine inspiration. No, it, it's, this is divinely inspired by God. The East Gate, you got it. It got its name because it faced the east, where the city was, but most importantly, it faced in the direction of the sunrise. You see, this was the first gate in the city of Jerusalem to be opened in the morning because of the sunrise. When the sun came up, this was the first gate of the city uh, to be opened. So all throughout the night, there would be a, a watchman who was placed on top of the city wall, and he, making his rounds all throughout the dark night. And around sunup, he would be at the east gate, and when the first ray of sunlight appeared, he would signal to open up the city. Open up the city! Uh, maybe that's how he yelled, okay? Why do you laugh? That's exactly how he was. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the sun was up and he could see that there were no enemies outside of the city walls that maybe crept in at dark time and so it was safe to open up the city. 
Maybe perhaps someone came during the middle of the night, you know, to the watchman and was like, I, I, I can't sleep. It's dark. It's disturbing. I have no rest. When will it be the morning? I'm ready for the light and for the sun. And the watchman would turn and say, listen, just hang on. Look to the east. Look to the east. It's almost morning. The sun is about to rise and we will have light. Oh my goodness, this application is so cool. We're living in a dark world, right? How many would agree? Raise your hand, testify, yeah. It's, it's getting darker and darker every day. This world is so disturbing. There's no rest at all in this world. The word of God says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, that this is, this is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through. And one day soon, very soon, I believe, okay, what the Apostle Paul records in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 is going to happen. The Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Praise God, gang. And according to Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, guess where Jesus is going to come from? North, south, west? No, the east. According to the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will appear in the east, all right? The east gate represents the Greek word harpazo or rapture. This gate represents the coming of Christ. That's our application, okay? Look, the Bible shows us that after Jesus ascended and went to heaven, that there's going to be two more appearances or comings of Jesus Christ that take place. There's going to be the rapture. Everyone say the rapture. It's a Greek word, harpazo, all right, which will take place in the sky, which we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then there's the actual second coming of Jesus where Jesus Christ will come and he will literally step his foot, put his foot on the earth. We see this in the Old Testament, Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah 14.4, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, Titus in the New Testament chapter 2 verse 13, the book of Revelation chapter 19. That's what it shows all where that takes place. But the next prophetic event that's going to take place on God's timeline is going to be the rapture of the church where Jesus comes and he takes his bride, okay? No, Greg, the Bible doesn't mention the word rapture. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking that. Well, the Bible doesn't mention the word trinity either. Yet it's a foundational doctrine of the church and this doctrine is all throughout the Bible. Oh, Greg, the Bible doesn't teach the rapture. You're just arguing semantics. Because it does. The doctrine of the rapture is found in the New Testament and it is illustrated all throughout the Old Testament. And I believe at a point in our future, and I believe it's going to be, personally I believe it's going to be soon. So I mean, we, I grew up singing a song. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Anybody else sing that? Anyone? Five of you? All right. Yes. It was a fun song. It was really fun. It was fun. But I believe very, very soon, guys, Father's going to look to the son, and he's going to say, go get your bride. Go get your bride. 
And there's going to be a blast from the shofar trumpet made out of the, the horn of the animal. Not the silver trumpet signaling war, but a blast of the Jewish shofar trumpet. And in that instant, every believer who has died in Christ or is still alive at that time is going to be transformed and we will meet Jesus Christ in the air. Man, that's good. Man, I... I'm gonna say what one of my mentors always said. How can you be so quiet when I've told you something so good right there? That is such good news, praise the Lord. And only in this appearance of Christ, only the believers and followers of Jesus will see him. Will be caught up. That's the meaning of rapture. Harpazo in the Greek. Caught up quickly in the twinkling of an eye, all right? Dude, sign me up. I, I, I'm in, man. I'm in. I'm going to fly. <laughs> that, you know, in, the, in the, the tune of Steve Miller, you know, I'm going to fly like an eagle to JC, fly like an eagle in the raptures where I'll be. I'm going to fly into my future. Yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> you know, such a great suit. I'm flying. I don't know about you guys. I don't need any air miles. I've got Christ in my heart. I'm out of here, right, when I hear that trumpet sound, okay? Uh, when that happens, that will set forth the events of the tribu tribulation period found in the book of Revelation, where all of that will culminate with Jesus' physical second coming, where the Bible says at that time, every eye will see Jesus. Everyone on the earth at that time, every eye will We'll see Jesus come down, okay? Man, there's such, you guys, how many of you know I love movies? Huh? Oh, you said that like a disdain. All right. I don't know where JC is sitting, but I heard his voice. There is such a cool scene that illustrates the second coming that I love it so much in The Lord of the Rings. How many of you watched that movie? All right, you, you might recall, listen, Gandalf tells Aragorn to fight the battles, you know, the, the enemy at Helm's Deep, and he tells him this is way before the battle, right? On the fifth day, look to the east, okay? So the battle is raging, okay? It appears like the good guys are just about to be taken over and the enemy, these ugly creatures are gonna overturn and overrun the city. They are fighting and then all of a sudden our hero remembers uh, Gandalf's words and he looks to the east and what does he see? All of a sudden he sees Gandalf on a white horse. He's wearing all white. The sun is slowly rising and it's rising in the east. And then all of a sudden this massive army appears behind him and they charge down the mountain. And in that instance, the sun shines, it blinds the enemy and they just, they go to town and the battle's over and it's awesome. All right. And so you wonder where, huh? I wonder where J.R. Tolkien got the inspiration from that scene. That's exactly from the Bible. From the Bible, man, when I saw that in the theater, when that scene popped up, I know what God's word says. I want to jump up and go, yeah, come on, Lord Jesus. But I, it was not church, so I didn't do that, all right? Um, but I understood the significance right away. And what a beautiful illustration of Jesus' second coming. The Old Testament prophet Malachi writes in, in his Old Testament book, chapter four, verse two, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, praise the Lord. Now, some will think that Jesus is gonna come through after his second coming through the eastern gate when he returns on the earth. The word of God doesn't mention this. It, it does mention that he will enter the golden gate, which is in the temple wall, 
but he's going to have to enter through one of the city gates. And it's very, very interesting that today the Muslims have sealed this gate shut. The eastern gate is, is right now sealed, completely shut, thinking that it will prevent or stop the Messiah coming through because this gate, he, he doesn't want to defile himself or he'll have to bust through the gate. Listen, man, when Jesus Christ returns in his second coming, man, there's going, to, there's going to be signs and wonders crashing and thunders, heaven shaking, trumpets of war sounding. It's going to be amazing. You can read all that in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And every eye is going to see him. But the eastern gate represents the rapture that will precede the second coming. And Jesus is the sunrise that's coming, but first he's going to appear as the bright and morning star to take his own, his bride, off this earth. There's an old gospel song sung by the Happy Goodman family that I sang growing up, and it says, I will meet you in the morning. I will meet you in the morning just inside the eastern gate over there. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Jesus is coming. So how do you build this gate in your life? You watch. You, you, you keep oil in your lamps like the five wise virgins in Matthew uh, 25. You live every day like this could be the last day that we have on this earth because Christ will take us home. You know, we gather around the east gate with eager expectation for the sun to rise, Jesus Christ. And we pray the prayer of the apostle John as he closes out the book of Revelation that he wrote Verse 20 of Revelation 22, amen, come Lord Jesus. We, we don't get comfortable down here. We're just pilgrims, gang. This isn't our final home. Don't get used to this earth. Don't get used to its creature comforts. Don't, don't, don't put it all down here. Uh-uh. Lay up our treasures in heaven. Like Jesus said, we're moth and rust. It's not going to corrode it. We're not going to destroy it. No. Our true home awaits us, gang. And Christ is coming for his church. And I ask, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? If this were the day. <laughs> I'm sure it'll sound much better than that. <laughs> that ain't going to make nobody rise from the dead. <laughs> But if today that shofar trumpet blast signaling God's end time events as unfolded, you know, untold, you know, told by the book of Revelation, are you ready? It's, it's not a fear tactic. It's the truth. It's the reality. How do we build this gate? You live ready now. You live watching and waiting and praying and serving and giving and doing what God's word says we should be doing. And we do that all because of his grace and his mercy and his love. My, my daughter, Kyler, sitting right here and I was reminded of a dream that she had a couple of, we were in Georgia. That's right, we we're at Tatum's house in Georgia. That's where I was when you guys came. I was on vacation um, when Connor's first Sunday was here. She said she woke up in tears crying. She, she had a very visual, and this is about the third time I think she's had a dream like this, a very visual dream of Jesus coming. Very vivid. And she woke up, and as she does, she lives on Instagram too, even more than me. No, sorry, just kidding. She loves it. She's good. She's a great uh, creator content. But anyway, I'm embarrassing her now. I'm sorry. She said she got on Instagram, and she saw like 
a couple videos, right? The first video she watched, you know, the reels, was somebody's like, I just woke up from a vivid dream that I had of Christ returning. Another video, I just had a massive dream of Christ returning. I mean, it's like video after video of the same thing. Gang, it's reality. Don't dismiss it. Jesus Christ is coming and he's coming soon. We have to have this gate in our lives and be ready for it. Amen? Amen? So the final gate we find in verse 31, Nehemiah chapter 3. Next to him, uh, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, he made repairs to the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite of the inspection gate. So the final gate I want to talk about is the inspection or the Mithkad gate. Now in Hebrew, Mithkad means review or registry, okay? This was the inspection gate or the reviewing gate. Every visitor that came to Jerusalem had to stop by this gate and register or get their visa, so to speak, okay? In the Old Testament, when the Israelite army would go out from battle and they would return to Jerusalem, King David would review his soldiers he would thank them, he would survey them, he even would perhaps reward them, guess where? Right here at the inspection gate. So what's the application for us today? It's the accounting of our lives. The accounting of our lives. And again, I just love how these gates, they just build upon each other, okay? So what comes after the rapture that we just read about in 1 Thessalonians 4, the east gate? Uh, the judgment seat of Christ, the inspection gate. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the apostle Paul writes, for, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Who's, who is this? A-L-L, right? We must all stand before Christ to be judged we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, the inspection gate, this is for all of the believers. This is for believers here, okay? This is where every single believer, every follower of Christ will have to give an account of every word, of every thought, and every action in their lives. I think sometimes we fail to uh, remember this is going to happen, and this isn't popular preaching either, okay? Now, this judgment, if I can put it in quotes, this is not the same as the great white throne judgment that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. You don't want to be at the great white throne judgment, gang. That's where sinners, those who have not confessed Christ as Savior and Lord, They've not put their trust and belief on Christ. That's where they're going to be pronounced into eternal punishment, Revelation 20. That's called the white throne judgment seat of Christ. What, what I'm talking about here, the inspection gate, and what we read from the Apostle Paul, this is called the Bema seat of Christ, where believers will stand before the Lord, not for salvation merit, not for you're going to heaven, you're going to hell, that kind of, no, but for how, to reward us for how we lived our lives on this earth for Jesus Christ. See, it's not just the, the, the idea of, I just want to get in. No, no, no. Christ is going to give out rewards at the Bema seat for how faithful we've been and what we've done for, for him and for our obedience in giving and serving and all those things. 
And this is what the Apostle Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than what's being laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen. So I'm about believers here and what we did for Christ while we lived on this earth. For the day will make it clear because it will be revealed by fire. That's the judgment. And the fire will test what kind of work each one has done. If what someone has built survives, he will receive a reward. If someone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Woo! That's a tough passage of scripture from the Apostle Paul. One that sometimes we want to read through really quick, all right? And this came from, this concept of the Bema seat came from the ancient Olympics where a judge would sit on the Bema seat at the finish line and the judge would determine what position the runners of the ancient Olympic games came in. The games came in, whether the runner came in first, second, or third. That seat for the judge was called the Bema seat. And that's kind of where this, you know, Paul was a big fan of the ancient Olympic games. He probably got that right from here. According to scripture, we will all give an account Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, no creatures hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And what we read from the apostle Paul, some will receive rewards because they built on the foundation of Christ and then others are, they won't, they'll be in, okay? But they're not gonna be rewarded because they didn't base things on Christ. Instead, their life was filled maybe with gossip, tearing each other down, disunity, speaking harshly with each other, not loving, not encouraging each other, not giving, not using your talents that the Lord has given you, not serving, and things like that in the word that we're supposed to be, you know, living and how we're supposed to be living. This is where the phrase from Jesus in Matthew 20, verse 16, where, where he says, the first will be last and the last will be first, that's where this comes into play. This is where the accounting for the believer will take place. So I ask you this morning, as we talk about the inspection gate, the Lord is inspecting us. What are you building on? Sure, you're a believer. Yes, that's the most important thing. You said yes to Christ. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Remember that old kid's song? <laughs> Now, what are you building on? Because even though you're a believer, maybe you're still building your life on your own pride, trying to call your own shots, trying to do your own thing, trying to make your own way. Yeah, Christ is here. I love him, but I'm, I'm still gonna do my thing. Listen, you're going to give an account of that. Begin to build on Jesus. Make him your savior and your Lord where you surrender every aspect of your life to him and you build on him. See, nothing else matters in your life if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Nothing else matters, okay? He loves us. He died for us. He's calling out to us. He gives us grace and mercy. He's coming for us. And when we say yes, and then we begin to build our life on him. Back to the analogy of closed fist, open fist. So many, even believers still approach the Lord with closed fist. I'm going to take care. I'm going to, it's, you can't have this, God. He wants open fist. 
Here I am, Lord. I'm open to whatever you have in my life, to whatever you want to do. I'm all in for you, Jesus. I'm pushing all my chips in on the table. I'm all for you, Christ. When we do that and have that attitude and take that approach, when we get, you know, when we talk about the inspection gate, Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant is your reward. And the beautiful thing is the rewards, man, we can give them all back to Christ because he's the only one worthy, amen? Amen. I, I love how these gates symbolize, they just build on each other, the application of our lives. And if you recall that picture, it started with the sheep gate and, and, and went around kind of clockwise. Yeah, there it is right there. Good job. Thank you, Eric. The first gate, Jesus and salvation. We move to the next gate, which, which, which is all about witnessing and, and evangelizing for Jesus. Then we kept on going. The next gate represented foundational doctrinal truths in our lives built on Christ. Then we come to the gate of, of, of humility and, and the valley and going through rough times. And that leads to the gate of confession and cleansing and repenting. And then that led to the gate of uh, filling us with the Holy Spirit. That led to, to the word of God, the water gate. Then we move to the spiritual warfare aspect of the gate. Then the, the coming of Christ to the faithful and then inspection and review. And then it's back to the sheep gate, Jesus. I mean, this right here, this is thousands of years ago, but it's so pertinent to our life now with the spiritual application of these gates. So I ask as I close this message and the, the, the team comes up, are you, are you building these gates in your life? Are you lacking any of them? Maybe you've built before, but you've let the building take a break. No, build the walls, gang. Build these gates in your life. So if you recall back when I first started talking about the walls in Nehemiah 3, the walls and gates of Jerusalem separated the Israelites, who were God's people, from the heathen nations. And the wall of Christ and these gates and his words separate us from the world so that we can be different. We can be different. Because that's what holy means, to be set apart and to be different. And God commands, be holy as, as, as I'm holy. So build the gates and live a better, more secured life in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've come this morning or you're watching online and you, you've shut the gate of your heart to Jesus. And Christ is knocking, as we see in the beginning of the book of Revelation. He's knocking, but you've shut the gate and you've locked it. And open up your, your heart to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Follow Jesus Christ and live for him. And live for him. Lord, we come before you today and I just, I just pray for everyone this morning and Pray for your, your, your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you love us so much, Lord. You'll never love us more than you do right now. And there's nothing we can do that'll make you love us more, nothing we can do that'll make you love us less. You love us with an unending, eternal love, a love, a love for us that resulted in... in, in and you willingly left your throne of glory to come down to take on flesh, take on humanity, 
and you lived this life like we live it, facing everything that we face, tempted in every way, as the book of Hebrews shows. Yet you did it without sin. And that made you the perfect, spotless lamb to be slain and sacrificed for us. And you did that on the cross, thus making atonement for every single one of us. Opening the door of grace, bridging that separation between us and our Holy Father. And all we have to do now is come to you and say, Lord, forgive me, I believe. Lord, wash me and cleanse me. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to I live my life for you. And if you're here this morning and, and you've, you've not done that, you've not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I'm not talking about religion I'm not talking about being a religious person. I'm not talking about tradition or or anything like that. I'm talking about a real relationship with Christ where you give up and you give in to Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. Turn to him. Pray a prayer like I just did and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and begin to live for him. And God, I pray for for believers that are in this room, Lord, and those watching online. God, we've just covered, we've just unpacked and covered these gates. And I pray the Holy Spirit, you would convict us in these areas of our lives that maybe we need to, you know, concentrate on more. Open up the gate doors more in our lives, Lord, and allow you to come in and do your work. Forgive us for neglect. Forgive us, God, for times when we've, on our own route in our own way forgive us for building on our own foundations Lord even as believers forgive us for building on our own foundations Lord let us apply your word to our lives and let us build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and Lord put an expectation in our hearts for your coming an expectation in our hearts and minds Lord Let it be present among us so that we don't get comfortable down here, Lord. And we eagerly wait and expect your return. And we won't be caught unaware. And I pray for those, Lord, who might be in in the middle of an intense spiritual battle, a wrestling match for their soul. I pray that let them know the hope that we have in you, Christ, that Holy Spirit, you'd remind them through this message and your word that we are more than conquerors. And Jesus, you've already won the war and we can overcome through you, Jesus, who gives us strength. And Lord, I know there's parents here and grandparents in this local body who have children and grandkids of various ages who aren't believers who've not surrendered to Christ. And there's a war for their soul because I know these parents and grandparents are praying for them. And I pray wherever these are, that Holy Spirit, you would awaken them of the need right now, the need that they have of you, Jesus, in their lives. And we believe that they're gonna come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and to give these parents and grandparents, Lord, courage and strength to continue to fight for their loved ones in prayer and to be the examples that they need to be, to walk through that fish gate of witnessing and showing your love, I pray. We ask all this 
in your powerful name, Jesus. Even so, Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. Take us home to be with you forever. In your name, amen. Amen.